right. Well, happy Mother's Day, right? Nobody could say it better than kid president. Um, I had to put that in there because it is Mother's Day, and uh, I need to just pause and honor, really, the, uh, the diligence and the role set before moms, right, by God in the family. And uh, so, happy Mother's Day. It is wow, upside down. I don't know if you ever thought about that. It's amazing. Mind-blowing. But I want to speak to everyone this morning, not just moms. Um, when I say that your life is not so demanding that you cannot take delight in the demands of life. It might have been a little confusing, but let me read it again. Your life is not so demanding that you cannot take delight in the demands of life. And whether you're a mom who thinks life is so demanding, or a father who thinks life is so demanding, or a Christian who thinks life is so demanding, we should be taking delight in the demands of God as our life. And that's how we're going to look at it this morning. We're looking at Deuteronomy chapter 30. When we see demands of life, we immediately think burdens, right? The hassle of life, the, the everyday breathing, living, working. And I want you guys just to be able to think of life as refreshing, life as a delight, a joy. That's how God intended life to be. So we need to understand first what life is. Think about your life. What is your life? If I were to say, what consumes your life? Or what do you identify with? Um, Is it hard work? Is it extraordinary service? Um, Is it about being a mom? Right? Nothing wrong with those things. Or is it enjoying good things? Is it finals? Um, Whatever is going on at the time. So what is it that consumes your life? In high school, I used to have a, a T-shirt, and I, was, I just loved this T-shirt. I wish I still had it. It has long gone. But uh, it said, soccer is life. The rest is just detail, right? I don't know if you remember that. It was back in the 80s. I wore my shirt in the 90s because I was about a decade behind in fashion. But I love that shirt because it helped me kind of identify who I was a little bit. It, it It was a way for me to exaggerate a statement about my passion, right? I didn't literally think soccer was life, but it consumed my life. It was a major part of my life. And so we have those things. What is your life? Is it checking off different accomplishments, goals? Um, One of my favorite cartoon characters, comic strips, is Calvin and Hobbes. I don't know if you've ever read that, but Calvin is a young boy. He's, he's a very deep thinker, and he has a friend named Hobbes, and every once in a while, he'll just have a statement that is mind-blowing, sometimes funny, sometimes very thought-provoking. But uh, one of the comic strips for Calvin is he's sitting at his desk, I think probably procrastinating about schoolwork or something, And he says, God put me on this earth to accomplish a certain number of things. Right now, I'm so far behind that I will never die. (laughs) Is that your outlook on life? To check things off, right? What is your life? I suggest that this morning we're going to reconsider our definition of life so that we're going to look at what God's demand is to be life itself and from that understand that we can delight in our lives, all right? So let's look at Deuteronomy 30. I'm going to read verses 11 through 20 
Um, and I love Deuteronomy because Deuteronomy, um, it's the teachings of God to a sinful, rebellious people. And I can relate to that. Uh, it's a story that I can put myself right into. And I find myself over and over again saying, how could they do that? And then I look at my life and I realized I'm doing that same thing. So I love Deuteronomy. Um, let's look in chapter 30, verse 11 through 20. I'll give you a little bit of a history, but let me read the passage first. It says, For this command which I command you today is not too mysterious for you, nor is it far off. It's not in heaven that you should say, Who will ascend into heaven for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it? Nor is it beyond the sea that you should say, Who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it? But the word is very near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart so that you may do it. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil, in that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, and to keep his commandments, his statutes, his judgments, that you may live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land which you go to possess. But if your heart turns away so that you do not hear and are drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I announce to you today that you will surely perish. You shall not prolong your days in the land which you cross over the Jordan to go in and possess. And he closes with this, I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live, that you may Love the Lord your God, that you may obey his voice, and that you may cling to him, for he is your life and the length of your days, and that you may dwell in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give them. Do you guys see the choice laid before the children of Israel? It's so easy, right? It's so obvious. And yet, we see in the book of Deuteronomy that this whole book is a retelling by Moses to the surviving generation whose fathers had witnessed and come to expect amazing things out of God. And as the Lord their God, it says in chapter 1, carried them as a man carries his son, and yet they did not believe the Lord when he commanded them to take the land promised them. So, so many great things in their life that they had witnessed over and over again. And when the time came to make a choice, they made the wrong choice. They said, whoa, life's pretty good here on the other side of the river. That promise isn't really something I'm going to go after. And Deuteronomy is, is a book of remembrance because Moses, at the end of his life here, is, is, he is not allowed to go into the promised land, and he's challenging the children of Israel to listen, obey, cling to God, love him. It's a reminder of God's goodness and their rebellion it's a call to remember lessons learned and resolve to live a life of obedience to God's demands for their own delight and joy. You see how that applies to us today? Deuteronomy is the same thing for us. And God in his promises, his commands, his demands of life to the children of Israel, he repeats himself over and over again throughout Scripture, even to the point where we then finally see Jesus saying the exact same things for our benefit. 
So the Lord is your life, and his demands are your delight. Let's look at those demands real quick. There's three of them. This is a simple message. Um, I'm going to try to communicate as best I can, but I'm excited about this. I'm excited about changing my thoughts about life and delighting in those demands that God has on me. Number one, love him. You see in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 20, we're going to really focus on that verse. That's my outline right there. That you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey his voice, that you may cling to him because he's your life. Love here, let's define love. It's, it's the strongest, closest, deepest, most intimate definition of love. Okay? It's that family bond, but it's greater, right? It's Mother's Day. We all know the love of a mother, and we all are so wowed by it, right? And we praise moms for their love, and we should. But if you look in Matthew 10, 37, Jesus said, The love you should have for me is greater than family love. It goes beyond the love of a father, of a mother, of a brother or sister. It's that plus more. So it's not this, this love that is just kind of acted out on obedience or that is kind of a, a toned-down version of love just so that we can love. No, it's, it's more than that. And for us to be able to understand what this is, I thought we'd look at what it is like to be in the family of God. We're going we're gonna to see what this love for him looks like by looking at our membership in the family of God. When you accept Christ as your Savior, you are given blessings, privileges. I'm going to read a few to you. This could take a long time, but I'm just going to read a few. You have access to God's grace. You are adopted by God. We get an inheritance. We are elected. We become a child of God. We are given heavenly citizenship. We become a servant. We are heirs of God, joint heirs with Jesus. We become new creatures. We become priests. We are reconciled to God. We are sanctified. We are accepted in the beloved. We are baptized in the body of Christ. We are buried with him. We have put on Christ. We have eternal life. We have peace with God. We become friends of God. We are in the Lamb's book of life. We receive imputed righteousness. Our names are written in heaven. We are given a blessed hope. We are seated in heavenly places. We have fellowship with the Trinity. I could go on, right? Our every need will be supplied, and there's pages of this. My favorite is we become a peculiar people, right? A different people, set aside. But so many blessings that we enjoy, so many privileges in the family of God. And so let's look at this love that we should have for our heavenly father. Look at your own family life or growing up. Think back on your family life. We are to act like children of God, right? As a member of his family. So enjoy family life with him. Wake him up. Jump on his bed laughing in the morning. Give him a hug. Have breakfast with him. Tell him what a great day it will be. Send him off to work with a kiss, right? Call him during the day. Tell him how much you miss him. Run outside and jump into his arms when he gets home. Ask him to jump on the trampoline with you. Show him your cuts and your bruises from the day. Talk nonstop about your day. Be with him. That's what it is. Be with him daily. Annoy him to death with your questions, right? Look for him at your ball game. Invite him to your recital. Ask him for the car keys. That's family life with God, and that's how we learn to love him. And as we grow, we become more intimately knowledgeable about him and who he is as our father. 
we begin to see our own weaknesses and his power. And in our brokenness, our love is awakened for him. That's the kind of love he's demanding of us because he is our life. Now, you might think, well, you can't mandate love, right? I mean, I can't just tell somebody, you must love this. And you're right, I can't do that. Um, but, but I'm not the one asking. God is, and he can. He demands this love. Think about it. Just because I'm unable to love him as I should does not mean that I don't have an obligation to meet his demand. It makes me realize how needy I am, right? How insufficient my emotions are. Uh, John Piper wrote a book, What Jesus Demands from the World, and, and, and a phrase caught my attention here. It says, The fact that I may be too corrupt to experience the emotions that I ought to have does not change my duty to have them. It makes me desperate. Do you see how that works? God is your life. He demands you to love him, and that is impossible. And so we desperately seek his help, and what does he do? He helps us accomplish the impossible. Love him. He is your life. What does that look like practically? Well, it's, it's doing what the Lord prefers. That is loving him. It's obeying him. And as we love him, his preferences become our preferences. Another Calvin moment. This is a Mother's Day Calvin uh, clip. He's writing a Mother's Day card to his mom, and he runs into the room, and he gives his mom his Mother's Day card. And so she reads this early in the morning, and he writes in the card, I was going to buy a card with hearts of pink and red, but then I thought I'd rather spend the money on me instead. It's awfully hard to buy things when one's allowance is so small, so I guess you're pretty lucky I got you anything at all. Happy Mother's Day to you. There I said it. Now I'm done. So how about getting out of bed and cooking breakfast for your son? And she looks at him and says, I'm deeply touched, right? And he asks, did you notice that about the allowance? And we do that with God. We write these letters to God. We say, man, I had great intentions, God, but I didn't get around to it. I'd rather spend the money on me instead. And by the way, I don't make enough money. My, my salary is so small. I guess you're lucky that I'm even showing up to church or that I'm giving you time. And by the way, I need you to help me with something here. Can you do that? You see how we do that? Love him. Actively do what he prefers. That is his demand for you as his life. And we do that by enjoying family life with him. Okay? It's easy. So the Lord is your life. His demand to love him is for your delight. That's what we read in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 20. The second demand, after loving him, he lists that you may cling, I'm sorry, that you may obey his voice. So, I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live, that you may obey his voice, for he is your life. The idea of obedience here is, is hearing, listening, right? Uh, the Shema in Judaism is one of the most important parts of the Jewish 
prayer service. Okay, it's the oldest set prayer in Judaism, and it's found in Deuteronomy chapter 6. It is recited morning and night. It is taught to children at a very young age. It encapsulates monotheism, okay? And it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Okay, it is a plea to listen and obey. And so that's what that is. Obey his voice. So how do we do that? We're going to look at family life again with God. Obeying is resolving to trust him as a child trusts his father. Okay? It looks like this. You seek his voice out to hear him more clearly. In other words, don't shout in the house idea, right? You guys have that rule at home? Don't be in the bathroom while I'm in the laundry room and shout at me for something. Uh, we, we tell our kids this all the time. It's annoying, and, and you can't hear exactly clearly, right? Come, find me, and speak to me face to face. That's our rule. And so we need to do that with God. We need to seek him out. We need to clearly understand him. Learn to recognize how he is speaking to us and be attentive to the things going on around us. He is setting things before us daily, just as he did with the children of Israel. He surprised them. He gave them so many blessings, and he delights in that. Watch carefully for those opportunities to obey. Urgently, desperately listen to his voice. Ask those questions. Don't avoid him, right? That's something else we do. My kids will avoid me if they're worried that I'm going to say something that they don't want to hear. And rather than seek me out and talk to me, they might avoid me. Don't be ignorant of his word. In Isaiah 55, 2-3, we see this reminder as well. God says, listen carefully to me. Eat what is good. Let your soul delight itself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear, and your soul shall live. That is, that is a demand that I can, I can rest in. That is a demand that, that I can delight in. God, God sets things before us, and I want to tell you a little bit about one opportunity that, that he set before me. Um, we'd been looking for a vehicle for a long time, and uh, those of you who, who know me may have heard that I get pretty stressed over big purchases like that. And our car was kind of, uh, you know, it was going to the grave. And we, I was getting pretty desperate for making sure that we had a reliable vehicle. And I prayed to God, God, do something great. Do something amazing. Just provide for us. And, and I had a lot of confidence. And um, God did that. He, he provided an opportunity. And he said, basically, here you go. Here's a great chance for you. Here's an amazing thing for you. And so we drove two hours to this place. And uh, before we went into the office, we, we just prayed that God would give us wisdom. And we went into the office. And the man said, I'm sorry, your car sold last night because we forgot to take it off the lot. Such a great deal. And I remember thinking, it's no big deal. God uh, obviously did not intend us to have that. But later, I was just kind of shaking my fist at God, right? Saying, thanks a lot for stringing us along and then ripping the rug out from under us. What was that all about, right? You see, I was willing to listen to him 
as long as he said what I wanted him to say when I wanted to hear it, right? Then I dismissed him when it didn't happen, and I learned something from that. Expect amazing things, okay? Listen to him. Obey him. Expecting great things. And when they don't happen, keep expecting amazing things. Don't dismiss him. He's not done. And needless to say, we, a, week, a few weeks later, I got desperate again, and I was like, all right, I'm just going to drive six hours to this vehicle that I found online, and it's not quite what we want. It's a little out of our budget, but I'm going to get something. And I thought, Last minute, I'm going to stop by one more dealership here in town just to see. I'd been there hundreds of times, it seemed like. And I got there in the morning, and nothing new. Um, But I had seen a vehicle in the back lot, and I asked him about it. And he said, we don't have any information on that. And I, I walked out there with him and said, what about that one out there? And so he looked it up, and sure enough, it was a vehicle they had gotten in that weekend. Nothing had been done with it, hadn't been cleaned, and it was exactly what I needed. I drove home with a new vehicle that day, and then I remembered. I had dismissed God. I had expect, expected amazing things, but then when it didn't happen, I had dismissed him. I had forgotten about it. And he wants us to expect amazing things from him. Not just sit around waiting. We need to go to him, hear him, listen to him. Another Calvin moment. One of his clips is, I think he's sitting at a TV, doing absolutely nothing, and his friend Hobbes walks up and asks, what you doing? And Calvin, with his eyes bleary, says, I'm killing time while I wait for life to shower me with meaning and happiness. And are we doing that? Are we just sitting around killing time? waiting for God to to walk through the house seeking us? Are we shouting at him from a distance? Seek his voice. Listen to his authority. Listen to his pleading. Listen to his word. That's how we obey him. It says after verse 4 and 5 of Deuteronomy 6 that Shema, their hear, O Israel, says, these words, these commands will be on your heart and you will teach them diligently to your children. That is how we love and we obey him. God demands the impossible. We desperately seek his help and he helps us accomplish the impossible. Remember that? We can obey him. The Lord is your life and his demand to obey him. His demand to obey him is not a burden. It is for your delight. So love him and delight in it. Obey him and delight in it. The third demand he has of us. Look again at verse 20 of Deuteronomy 30. Choose life that both you and your descendants may live, that you may cling to him, for he is your life. That clinging, okay? I don't know if you've ever worked with with. Uh, cling wrap or tape or something that's so sticky and it's so hard to work with and it's often just a big mess, right? Because it sticks together. That's what that clinging is. It's that desperately attaching, frantically remaining to actually join together or stick together to abide. That's a word we recognize. 
to hold fast and to cleave. In Genesis 2.24, we see that word cleave. As a husband and a wife, they let go of one thing and cling to one another as one flesh. That is what clinging to God should look like. The Lord is your life. In other words, grab on to him and don't let go as if your life depended on it. Um, kids have a surprisingly strong grip, don't they? Um, dropping kids off in the nursery is very entertaining to watch. If you have not seen kids just grab a hold of some hair or a shirt or a strap and just refuse to let go, that's the image I get when I say cling to your heavenly father. When parents drop their kids off, maybe for the first time, or maybe there's just a, a child who's just a little clingy, right? Um, it's, it's, it's entertaining to watch. I feel so bad for the kids, and I feel a little bad for the parents. But they will grab a hold of a handful of something because they are desperate to hang on to their parents. They don't want to go. They have made up their minds, and they have a need to latch on to something, right, for comfort. That is how we should be with our Heavenly Father. It's family life again, right? That word to abide or stay is a word of rest. It's a word of delight. We should humble ourselves and be desperate as we are in our own family. There should be no secrets. We should be vulnerable with God. Recognize your weakness and your need for God to be your sustainer, right? When we look at the word abide, Jesus described it as a vine and its branches, and everything comes through him to us. Tell him what scares you. Tell him where you fail. Tell him you need his help. Hold him when you're scared. Go to him when you're sick. Cry on him when you're sad. Stay close to him, expecting great things. Stay attached. Look to him as the source of all good things. That sounds great, doesn't it? John Piper says this about God. He wants to be the moment-by-moment -moment cause of every good thing in our lives. That's what abiding is. The moment-by-moment -moment cause of every good thing. And we can't do that if we're away from God. We've got to have that closeness, that clinging to him. It's to remain vitally connected or engaged to him, drawing our every need from him. And so when we abide, we begin to want the same thing God wants, right? Everything is coming from him. And we begin to know him as the source and sustainer of our lives we begin to know him as life itself. Are you beginning to see how God is your life? What are you holding on to? Is your grip tight? Are you clinging desperately to him as your sustainer? Or are you holding on to something else? A delusion. Uh, one of the more serious Calvin moments is when he has been told a huge lie by his father about the sun destroying the earth or something. He stops and he's sitting with his friend Hobbes and he says, isn't it sad how some people's grip on their lives is so precarious that they'll embrace any preposterous delusion rather than face an occasional bleak truth? 
And ironically, he's the one who is doing that, right? Are we deluding ourselves? Are we hanging on to something that will not satisfy? I want you to think about that. What in your life do you cling to? Joshua, who, who, who led the children of Israel into the promised land, at the end of his life, he gives this same command. He addresses the nation of Israel, and he warns them to hold fast to the Lord your God. Love him, he says in Joshua 23. And so he's saying, let go of those things that don't delight you, that don't satisfy. Grip, hang on to God. And some of us need to let go of something, whether it's anxiety or whether it's the old self. You look in Ephesians 4.22 and it's a reminder. It says, if you have heard Jesus and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, then you should put off concerning your former conduct the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. In other words, put that away. Let go of it. Those are, those are, those are old desires, old passions. He has given you a new heart. You're a new creation. 1 Peter 5.10 is a reminder for us to let go of our cares, let go of our anxieties, let go of that stress because he cares for you. So seek his voice. Ask him to take your grip off of those old things and cling to him. The Lord is your life, and his demand to cling to him is for your delight. That's a reminder. Can you do that? I want to close with this thought. Remember, I said in the beginning that God, he had these demands on Israel, and he repeats himself over and over and if you have a hard time thinking, well, God is teaching Israel this. I don't really know if that's for me. Think about this. The demands of God are repeated years later for our benefit in the person of Jesus Christ. Okay? Jesus came and said, whoever has seen me has seen the Father because I come from the Father. This is the same God. This is the same love. This is the same obedience, the same clinging that God demanded. Jesus, the Son of God, came as the manifestation of the glory of God, and he said, I am your life. Love me. Listen to me. Cling to me. He said it in John 11. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. I have the words of life. And he said then, if God were your father, you would love me. In John 8. And then he tells the people in Mark 7, Hear me, all of you, and understand. Listen to me. He says in John 15, this is that abide verse, right? He says, Abide in me, remain in me, connected. I am the cause of all good things. You see how this is the exact same thing that God demanded of the children of Israel. Jesus demands of us today, and not just you and me, but the entire world. That is his demand because he deserves it. Finally, Jesus has the words of eternal life. Peter said this, right? Instead of turning away, he followed Jesus because he knew Jesus, his words were worth listening to because they gave eternal life. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And he demands that you love him and obey him and cling to him. What are you going to choose? 
I hope you choose life so that we can delight in those demands. What do you think? Will that change your outlook on life? Will life not be so demanding as a burden? Can you see how those demands from God are actually a delight? They're for our benefit. That makes life so much different because he is our life. Let me pray for you and then we'll be dismissed and the worship team can come up. Our Heavenly Father, I thank you that you have the authority and you demand, but God, that you also have love for us and you help us. And as Augustine prayed, he prayed, command what you wish, God, but give what you command. You make it easy for us. So you are worthy. You are loving. And may, may you be exalted today, this morning, and may Christ be our lives so that we can take great delight in the demands of life. Just bless our day. And I pray these things in your name. Amen. Nothing compares to your embrace